Welcome to Central Line, the AHA podcast. This is the official podcast of the American Animal Hospital Association, dedicated to simplifying the journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine for every member of the veterinary team. Here's your host, Dr. Katie Berlin. Hi, it's Dr. Katie Berlin here. Welcome back to Central Line. I am with a guest today that I'm very excited for you all to meet. Um, Dr. Jessica Vogelsang is the one who said, you really have to meet Sarah. And I am so glad that she did. Sarah Taylor, welcome to Central Line. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. It's just such a pleasure. And um, we had a little chat before this and it was, we just connected on so many levels. Um, and I'm sure Jessica knew that and that's why she wanted to make this happen. But if, you know, if you would give everybody else listening and watching a little bit of background on yourself and um, what you're passionate about, we'd love it. Sure. Um, so I have been an RVT here in California for 27 years and been in the field for 30 years. So I guess you could say I'm one of those rare ones that has made an entire career out of being a credential tech. I hope that and gets less rare. I really hope that gets less rare. I hope so. And that's part of my goal in terms of the bigger picture of this field is to help mm -hmm. encourage people to have this, a, make it a sustainable and hopefully enjoyable field mm -hmm. for others. Um, and yeah, that's basically who I am. And I work at the San Francisco SPCA. I oversee the entire tech team and all the departments here. So uh, my title is VP of nursing. I'm not a big title person. It's more about what we do and what we provide. So here at the San Francisco SPCA, we have 50 RVTs and 43 vet assistants wow. and across all the departments. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we're going to be talking about how you, how the heck you ended up with that many bodies we, to help. We um, developed because, them. <laughs> yes, mm -hmm. that's a lot. So we're going to talk about that because um, I think a lot of people listening are like 50. I haven't even seen one yeah. credential technician in the last year. So um, so we need to talk about that for sure. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll get into all of that. But, you know, you you are passionate about a lot of things that I love as well. And I know we've talked about a lot on the podcast. Um, like you said, you're not into titles. It's more about what we do. Can you expand on that just a little bit? Yeah, it's, I mean, ultimately, what are we here for? We're here for the pets, the clients and each other mm -hmm. and this career. So um, I'm very much, I've been called a leadership nerd. So I'm very much into the leadership aspect and training and frankly i think in if we're talking about the tech field those are two absolutely critical pieces mm -hmm. in this career to make this career sustainable and enjoyable yeah absolutely agree with you um okay so personal question mm -hmm. uh we've talked to several guests about their third space so the place where you can just be sarah you don't have to be an rvt you don't have to be a boss, you know, or mm -hmm. VP of anything. You can just be you. Uh, do you mm -hmm. have one? Oh, a few outside of life. Um, mm -hmm. And thinking of, you know, those, those of us who are techs, it often is very much our being. Yeah. And sometimes you have to remember to, yes, you need something else outside of teching. Mm -hmm. So reading, love mm -hmm. reading, mm -hmm. friends, 
and I live in the Bay Area, so it's a big foodie area. Cooking dinner with my husband mm -hmm. uh, is always a very exciting thing. And we cycle, road cycle a lot. So the Bay Area is ah. phenomenal and beautiful. And you can't answer your phone. You can't be at a computer. You are off the grid for that time going through various eco climate, like microclimates mm. here in the Bay Area. It's great. I hear that. Yeah, I hear the Bay Area is really just spectacular for cycling and for running, mm -hmm. too, I'm sure. Um, and mm -hmm. that's that's my third space most of the time when I'm healthy enough to do it. So um, love that. Um, OK, well, let's talk about culture, because you're a leadership nerd and leadership and culture really go hand in hand, you know, without yep. a good leader, um, positive, strong leadership we don't, we're not going to see the culture that we want. So when you moved into a leadership position at the SPCA, um, did you already have an idea of the culture that you wanted to build? And were you seeing it already and you were just going to like pick up where someone else left off? Or did you really need to start creating? It's mm, a great question. Um, so when I joined the SPCA, I already had leadership experience mm -hmm. from another very large specialty hospital. So I had the fortunate uh, experience to come into this job of knowing that there was absolutely a culture that I wanted to create. And if you go back to when I first became a leader, um, I was more naive. You know, mm -hmm. you get, you enter this field and yeah. you're focused on workflow and you're for, focused on hiring and training, but there's so much of a, another level to take mm -hmm. it to. So yeah, here at the SBC, I came in and we defined it. You say out loud, what is it that you want? Um, basically in the tech field, it, it sounds simple and basic and easy, but you want compassion, empathy. Uh, you want to be people to be helpful, follow through, be there for team teamwork. Remember that we're here for both the client and the patient, both the client and patient experience. Mm. Um, and I want to create a training, a learning culture where we're all invested in each other's success. So it's not like you have one trainer who does that job. We're all here to encourage each other and train each other to be better at what we do. So if you want to define it quickly, that's what I would say. Yeah, I know it goes so much deeper than that, but, mm -hmm. um, but I love that. Has the SPCA in general and the other leaders that you work with, have they been supportive of that? desire oh, to create that culture? A hundred percent. Because once you get that rolling, um, mm -hmm. yes, it's been, I've been here 12 years. So now I can say we have 50 RVTs. Right. <laughs> but once you get that, that ball rolling and in motion, and once again, the two things, leadership and training, this is what you end up with. This is the end result. Mm -hmm. Sure. It's a lot of hard work to get there. Yeah. But you were confident you you could see far enough down the road to say like, OK, we got to stay the course, even though I know it probably was not smooth sailing a lot of the time trying yeah. to change and trying to change established practices anywhere um, mm -hmm. if there are established practices. I mean, I guess uh, culture happens whether you create it or not. Right. So it's like a culture by default if you're not intentionally creating it. Yes. Yes. And sometimes culture can create itself in a way that make sense and that you want. But generally, I feel like it really has to, we have to help shape it. It's human nature. There's, mm -hmm. we, we can be chaotic or we can go into directions that it's the vet field. We're working yeah. hard. Sometimes there's that negative bonding. You don't want that. Uh, or we're in the vet field. Look, we've all experienced this. Clicks can happen. Yep. 
negativity can happen or people feel not so energized by their jobs. So it's up us as leaders to help shape that and and recognize it and keep keep that from happening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this, so I'm going <laughs> to ask it anyway, though. But like I was at a at the AHA conference, so AHA Con in San mm-hmm. Diego yep. this past weekend here. We're recording in late September. And um, I was sitting next to, I went out to coffee and lunch with my friend, Josh Weissman, who has been on mm-hmm. this podcast and mm-hmm. just wrote a book on, on positive leadership, yes. which is wonderful. And um, he's been a friend for several years now, which I feel really fortunate to be able to say, because I think, um, you know, when I moved into my first leadership position or my first by title, I should say, because mm-hmm. I guess veterinarians are always in a leadership position, whether they want to or to be or not. They, we just don't always think about it that way. Yeah. But um, I, I, at the, from the very beginning, I've been kind of thinking, okay, what would Josh say in this situation? And like, would Josh be proud of me the way that I'm trying to handle this situation? And like, definitely has not been perfect, but I think keeping that, having somebody who you know is, has done this hard work and who can see situations really well from the outside and who you want to, you aspire to be like and you aspire to make proud of you mm-hmm. is really, really helpful when it comes to being the one who comes in and says like, no, we are going to change this and I promise you it's going to pay off um, because you have somebody behind you like to back you up when you're like, I don't know if it's going to pay off, Josh. A hundred percent. And it's okay. We fumble, right? Yeah, leader. Yeah. There's going to be fumbling moments. Yeah. That's okay. But if we know what we're striving towards and yeah. I love that because as a new leader or even an experienced leader, you're always have that curiosity, but then have those role models. Or I always mm-hmm. ask people to identify simple, simple exercise, but what is pay attention to those leaders that you've had in your life that really inspired you, yes. energized you, made a difference. And yeah. pay attention to the leaders where maybe you felt less energized, less mm-hmm. motivated, and note that and just. Uh, figure out who it is that you want to be to provide the best leadership. But yeah, having a role model, mm-hmm. very helpful. So that's what I was going to ask you. Um, do you. Did you have one or do you have one who you still think? And it could, doesn't have to be like a person you know, it could be an author mm. or some, you know, an expert, but somebody that you're like, I would want this person to be happy with how I'm handling this situation or with the culture that we've built. Oh, good question. I mean, as a leadership member, who doesn't love Brene Brown? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I want her to be my friend. Like, please, Brene Brown, be our <laughs> <Yes>. friend. <laughs> um, but also, like I said, cataloging almost. I've had, mm-hmm. um, I worked at a smaller general practice even exotic, even though I'm not a Navy exotic person, I did for two years, but that practice, I felt like there's good leadership there. Mm-hmm. I had a DVM who was a really good leader and you, you pay attention to what mm-hmm. is it that that individual did that I want to emulate and yeah. take to other people. Um, and so I'd say it's almost an accumulation of things. And honestly, my father was a business owner. And so watching him, he had very loyal, dedicated employees. And even as a kid, just registering, what did he do? What was that all mm-hmm. about? Mm-hmm. Um, How, why did they want to stay mm-hmm. so badly? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love that. Well, one of the things that you've done, I mean, besides building up a, a fantastic population of 
empowered technicians and assistants at the SPCA is you've also diversified that group a lot um, in terms of not just experience, but in terms of a lot of other factors that can affect mm -hmm. the diversity of a team. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like when we look around at your average vet clinic, it's a very sort of homogenous place, at least racially, you know, ethnically. Um, and yep. I understand that's not so much the case anymore at the SFSPCA. No, I feel like we really need to expand and grow in this field in so many ways. And diversity is one of them. Mm -hmm. We look at the, what was it, the 2022 NAFTA study, and they mm -hmm. said, I think they came up with 90% of yeah. the techs who answered were uh, identified as white. And so, yes, the field is traditionally drawing in the same kind of individual. And so I set out to change that here at the San Francisco SPCA. And yes, remember, this has been over some years, mm -hmm. but we are now, um, If I wish I could show you the little pie chart of how diverse <laughs> it is, it's really fun. But now actually 37% of our tech team are white and the rest is all a lovely diverse mix that we basically really, dedicated to equity, inclusion, diversity in a way that we're all one team. So it's hopefully it doesn't feel. Mm -hmm. um, it's not self-segregating mm -mm. in the team. And it means reaching out to communities, maybe being willing to take in and train from the ground up mm -hmm. and support people through the whole career, honestly. Yeah, and I mean, when you do that, if you do it well with the kind of positive leadership that you're talking about, I know we've t we've talked about how you don't love the term servant leadership, which um, we, I think we should we should touch on. But like, that, I love the concept. The concept, yes. The yeah. term just sounds a little bit. It's like simple, simplistic, maybe a little bit. Mm -hmm. But like the mm -hmm. culture of supportive leadership rather than hierarchical. Like, yes. here's what to do, and I'm going to tell you how to do it. Um, and like creating that empowered team is going to inspire loyalty and make people want to stay with you through their careers, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It would it would do that for me for sure. It does, and and once again, the learning environment and creating a team where we all appreciate each other's mm -hmm. differences. I I think of I, I think there's sometimes a desire in us as just human to want to maybe have all the same kind of person mm -hmm. in terms of how you function, perhaps how you look, whatever it is, but that doesn't make a good team. Right. A team is made up of a huge compilation. And then us as leaders identify what their strength, individual strengths are. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Well, and when you end up with a lot of the same people, like the same people with the same background, people with the same sort of you know, approximately the same cultural customs and mm -hmm. who relate to clients in much the same way, um, for better or for worse. Um, because I would imagine that having a more diverse staff is also helping you, tr you know, serve your community better because your community doesn't all look the same. Absolutely. I think it's, it's fantastic that we have a lot of, in, in San Francisco, a mm -hmm. lot of Spanish speaking clients. So mm -hmm. we have people who are Spanish speaking techs. Yeah. And we started a community vet clinic. It's called where it's staffed with people who are all Spanish speaking in a community that's the majority of the clients are Spanish speaking. And yeah. that connection beyond language too, just cultural yes. connection makes such a difference. And we all know it's how, how frightening is that to go to a vet hospital with your dog and 
vet medicine is almost, even if you speak English, it's confusing. It's a different language. For sure. Um, and that cultural connection and understanding is imperative. Yeah. The cultural competency of just knowing like how to address mm -hmm. somebody um, and how to relate to them and their relationship with their pet, which might be culturally a little bit different than how your family related to a pet. Um, and I, you know, things like nutrition and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, it can all be very nuanced. And I love the idea that automatically there's an element of trust when a client comes in and sees somebody that they can relate to right away, at least on some level. Um, a hundred percent. Culturally, that's one thing we call out is we don't want to be judgmental in the vet field. Right. It, it's tricky. We don't yeah. always know what the client's experience on so many levels. Yeah. And, and to have a tech team, um, well, the entire team, frankly, but I'm focusing on tech of, of not judging the client is so important. Yeah. When you train the technicians um, from and assistants sort of mm -hmm. from the ground up, so you go yeah. out and you basically advertise and say, like, we want we we need people to come and work, but we will support you. Mm -hmm. um, how do you get them to come? Like. Because a lot of a lot of the reasons I think we see homogenous you know populations coming to vet med is because there are a lot of communities that don't really understand what it is or see it as a viable career option. So how do you capture the attention of people who may not have thought about that as a career? I actually think there's a lot of people who want to enter this career, but there isn't the how do I do it? And yeah. if we look at the advertisements out there and what everyone's looking for, Sure. This is hard. This is that cyclical thing where most vet hospitals need someone experienced. Mm -hmm. And so I was at a curiosity scanning vet assistant, a minimum one year experience. So how do you even get there? Uh, and I, I actually find we get applicants because if we're, one is willing to bring from the ground up, that is the difference. And look, I know all of you listeners out there, easy to say, right? Yeah. There's that whole, whole thing of, well, how do I do that? I, I'm short staffed. I don't have the time to train someone that takes, yeah, it takes a fair amount mm -hmm. of energy. So easy to sit there and say, but this is where I, as a, when, you know, when we're at moments when I've been in places of lower staffed and you just kind of dig deep and go, all right, this, but this is the solution. This mm -hmm. is part of the solution of how we can, allow people to enter the field and provide a very welcoming, um, embracing atmosphere. Mm -hmm. It's scary to walk into a vet hospital, even the equipment yeah. <laughs> or the smell, the smell. Yeah. The whole place is just actually kind of anxiety inducing. I mean, it, it can be anxiety inducing for me. I can't imagine, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years. So I remember when I first walked into a vet hospital just to check it out to see if I wanted to get in this field and it was like, whoa, this is, Mm -hmm. all so foreign yeah and and so making sure that it doesn't feel if it feels foreign it's okay acknowledging it be comfortable with it well very very welcoming to people who are newer in the vet field yeah um and so i guess that i'm not sure if that answered your question necessarily yeah i think so i mean and and even just like you know, we've talked to guests on the podcast who didn't even see a veterinarian with their own eyes until they were in college, like Sharice Roth said that. And um, then just this past weekend, we were in San Diego and Blend Vet, um, headed up mm -hmm. by the fabulous Nicole Bruno, but with her entire team of like amazingness, um, did a Pathways event 
on Friday. So they went to a local, you know, they had a local school um, and mm-hmm. talked to a whole bunch of kids and they rotated through these stations that had like CPR and surgery. Oh, wow. And yeah, I mean, you know, you go online and you can see like, Dr. Courtney Campbell with a scrub cap on and like his whole team of little surgeons behind him with their scrub caps and gowns on. So sweet. It was, it was so cute. And like they said afterwards that the kids didn't take their scrub. A lot of the kids didn't take their caps off all day because they just wanted to feel like surgeons. And they're never going to forget that. I reaching out to kids in yes, elementary school, high school, Mm -hmm. even community. Um, we have community outreach programs mm. uh, that allow tours of our community vet clinic or bring them in and make it accessible to the client. This is, yeah, the vet field, I think, historically has been this, you know, brick and mortar, almost intimidating, yes. formal. That's in the white code. And they're like, this is what you should do. Yes. And you do it. Yes. So yeah. it's uh, changing that. Mm-hmm. And making it accessible in the whole bigger picture, including yeah, kids. How fun! Yeah, it looked they like love they, had a they love a surgical cap and oh yeah, and exam gloves and <laughs> yeah. There's video of them like doing CPR and the dummies on the ground. Like, I love uh, it. Yeah. So um, Alyssa Mages built a whole bunch of like mannequins that have like little tubes for veins, so they can practice venipuncture, and you can open them up and see the organs inside. I mean, it's just totally crazy like how much they've done to prepare for this and it's making such an impact and like Mm -hmm. hopefully that will spread and those kids will say to you know and some of the vets in the san diego area who were in you know connected that way they'll take them in as externs one day you know and Mm -hmm. you just never know um so i what what workshop or what experience made a big a big difference and you know, you've been there for 12 years. 12 years is not actually very long. I mean, it's a long time to be in one place. Like I'm not minimizing that, but Mm -hmm. 12 years to have that shift with Mm -hmm. on the job trained um, assistants and technicians who have gone on to get credentialed because they started with you. Mm -hmm. Like that is actually a lot in a very short amount of time in the grand scheme of things. It is. We've developed of our current team, 30 of uh, the techs have been developed here and we've developed a lot more and sent them out into the world, which is great. And you don't view that as a failure, I assume. You view that as a a gift. It's absolutely a gift. Um, Let's, as we know, there's the quite the shortage and keeping people in this field. Mm -hmm. So as many as we can energize and get in and keep them and hopefully train them, send them out to be successes, that's a win. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know it, it, yeah, it took a lot of, a lot of work. We're lucky that we work with a local vet, um, RBT pro school. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so we accept interns. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a pipeline, Yeah. but you gotta, once again, get, be completely dedicated to that training, which takes a lot of fair amount of time and energy. But if you create that learning structure and the other people, the whole teams invest in each other. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit self-fulfilling. Yeah. I guess you could say. Yeah. Well, it takes a ton of energy to have constant turnover too. like to constantly be introducing someone new, no matter how experienced they are. It's, you may not have to teach them how to put a catheter in, but you've got to teach them everything else and integrate them with the team. And then if they leave after a year or two, um, you got to start all over. So training and 
growing and empowering is a lot of work, but it seems like it would be more rewarding than just kind of like slotting people in and watching them leave. Yeah, the payoff is huge. And yeah. honestly, I mean, we've all been at vet hospitals and been guilty of this or experienced it ourselves where you, the need is so profound. So you're just kind of like, here you go. You're put into the mix really fast without onboarding. And yeah. here's, I'll stand on my soapbox a little bit where it is those first two to three weeks are so critical. And as much as you need that person to be functional right away, I cannot stress enough the importance of taking that deep breath and being like, all right, I'm going to spend two to three weeks onboarding properly before I even put them in a primary role. And yeah. the, it's little, but the difference that makes is huge. Yeah. This AHA podcast is brought to you by Care Credit. Care Credit understands that all veterinary teams are busier than ever. To help patients get the care they need, the Care Credit Health and Pet Care Credit Card allows clients to access a budget-friendly financing experience anytime from anywhere on their own smart device. They can learn, see if they pre-qualify, apply, and even pay if approved, all on that smart device. With just a tap, they have a friendly, contactless way to pay over time for the services and treatments their pet needs, whether it be a general, referring, or specialty hospital, as long as they accept the Care Credit credit card. Yeah. So there are a lot of people listening and watching right now who are working on teams that are short-staffed and they're mm -hmm. feeling the pinch and they're like, okay, I'll train them, like that's fine, but they're having a hard time keeping team members, um, especially credential technicians. So do you, is there something that first comes to mind where you're like, okay, what, mm -hmm. how could we get to the root of that problem? Like what question would you want to ask those teams first? Um, okay, well, I, I'm one of those perhaps annoyingly, so I always want to know the why. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Have we, have, have you looked at the why? But a lot of vet hospitals are experiencing the same thing and the same problem of cyclical turnover. And that's where I'm like, unfortunately, you have to almost take the pause, look at the why mm -hmm. and like the why I, people are leaving. Yeah. Yeah. What is it? Have we are, asked, have we asked them? honestly and mostly what i experience is it's people aren't feeling appreciated or i'm not a big fan of tech utilization the word utilization i'm yeah. more of a contribution i'm going to use the word contribution sure. um are they are be able are people able to contribute in the way that is fulfilling to them and a lot of that has to do with trust of them but then you come back and it's it, trust comes through training. So the DVMs have to trust us. Mm -hmm. um, so if, if, if there's that proper training to get that trust and utilization, then we're there. And frankly, leadership, I mean, a lot of us know the leadership is so, so critical. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a second. Um, you know, the, the obviously figuring out, and I think we can say that for the whole profession, right, is figuring out why people are why we're bleeding people um, is probably more important than creating new people or new roles for them. But we can talk about that more in a second. But anyway, um, <laughs> but let's talk about leadership because um, in the term servant leadership, let's go back to that. Okay. Why is it that you don't, you love the concept, but not so much the term? The term, I don't know why the term servant leader, mm -hmm. servant is 
a little bit feels extreme uh, okay. where we are that I view leaders are there to ensure their team's success, build their team's success as a team and as individuals. So I think that servant leadership is the closest thing to explain that. Um, I do laugh where I've sometimes taught it to newer supervisors, but then they give all, too much of themselves. Yeah. <laughs> and and leave nothing left for themselves. So that's, I think that's where the term can be tricky. Mm -hmm. um, we kind of we think do have to take the... care of the cell, ourselves too. There's self-care involved yeah. in the whole picture while we're serving the team. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm thinking, I'm a big Simon Sinek fan. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, you just said basically like, let's start with why. Um, and, oh, yes. <laughs> and, um, and Simon Sinek is, is brilliant and love listening to him. And also I hate the name of that book, Leaders Eat Last, because mm -hmm. I'd rather eat together. Like let's eat together. Yes, it's a hundred percent. It's a collaboration. Yeah. It's servant, the term of servant, it almost takes the, that hierarchical, we don't need to swing it completely in the opposite direction. There's, there's right. a happy medium. And yes, it's a collaboration of the leader and the team. But it's hard in the vet field. I know that, I mean, that's how I started. You're, you're responsible, you're good tech or you're mm -hmm. good DBM. Mm -hmm. um, you have good follow through, you're put into a leadership position. Yep. And with essentially no training in most cases, like absolutely mm -hmm. not. All you have is the examples of people you've seen lead, which as mm -hmm. we know is usually not good enough. <laughs> that, <right. laughs> we all experience it's hard. So that's where curiosity is, I'd say, such a key in leadership. Yeah. Just keep being curious about how one can be better and better, well, mm -hmm. serve our teams. Yeah, and listen. I I would listen. prefer listening leadership, I think, than servant leadership. It doesn't have mm -hmm. quite the same ring to it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's clear that you and I both agree that leadership is probably one of the biggest ingredient, if not the biggest ingredient for success for vet teams. Um, but the team has to be on board too, right? Because I think there are a lot of people who have grown up in this profession, essentially, who are used to that hierarchical structure. I mean, I've seen this happen so many times where like people just want to be told what to do because it's how they're comfortable. And when you ask them for input or feedback, they don't want to give it to you um, or they haven't thought about it because they didn't think it was their business to think about it. Um, so how do you start that so like leadership training for the leader is one per one thing but then you also have to sort of get the team on board with like no we're in this together we're going to talk about everything um i actually think i mean look, when you talk about generations there is a generation now that wants to be more involved so in yes. some ways it's easier there's very yeah. much a i want to know what's going on talk to me and yes. loop me in include me but the importance of this kind of creating that psychological safety that you can speak up and I'm not gonna judge you. It's okay if maybe it's an idea we wanna use or not use, but mm -hmm. creating that safety to speak out is probably step number one mm. and identifying how you can do that with a team. Because we also know there's some introverts or people who are maybe are shyer in the vet field who aren't just gonna be like, oh, um, hello, yeah. we need to do this. Yeah. And how do we make room for that? And I'd say in multiple ways too. Mm -hmm. We want to hear from the team. So whether it's through ways that they can 
do it without having to have face to face. Mm -hmm. I know some people hate anonymous feedback, but sometimes you need to create that yeah. situation to build the trust to then create that psychological safety so people can give feedback. Um, energize a team buy-in. Like mm -hmm. when they have good ideas, implement it and give them all the credit <laughs> um, and have them be part of implementing and owning it. So there's uh, there are some ways that you can really get get that pride from them in their work. Yeah, that psychological safety piece is just, I mean, and that's, that's where Josh starts in his book. That's where oh, I, I have I, to read this. <laughs> yes, he talks about the four P's of positive leadership, and that's the first mm -hmm. one. And mm -hmm. um, without that, it really seems like a lot of other efforts will end up falling flat because um, you'll think you're doing a good job. But as he and so many other people have said, you know, a silent team is not a successful team. Um, you need that, that sort of productive, healthy conflict and discussion and not mm -hmm. be afraid of it. Um, and I'm thinking about the story in Radical Candor, which is another amazing mm -hmm. book um, yeah. by Kim Scott. And um, she's talking about going to a factory in Japan or something where people are not used to being at all what they might consider rude and like, you know, mm -hmm. so they didn't want to give any feedback on things that could be changed in their systems. And so she like didn't let them go home until they stood on, on a spot <laughs> and like said two pieces of negative feedback or something, um, you know, and, and I wonder if that's because it creating an expectation that you're going to be asked and that it's okay to say it and showing that by example too seems like a really important thing for a leader to do like please critique me mm -hmm. please tell me you know I, I i need you to do this for me like it, it isn't always about like oh you're complaining it's that this is something i need that will help me make our team better yes indeed like there are two things that came to mind mm -hmm. along with that psychological safety the culture of feedback it's yeah. it's i mean i'm one that feels uh feedback is such a gift mm -hmm. i actually almost think it's i always say it's almost cruel if you watch someone not who's struggling and you're not doing anything but yeah how to provide it in a way that is uh helpful so i always but honestly look in the field this field we're giving 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 all the time to mm -hmm. pets to clients so we want to feel like someone has our back Mm -hmm. Someone is supporting us back yeah. there um, so that we can continue to give enormously <laughs> yeah. in this field. So I'd say that's number one, making sure people know that you you are there to support them, whether that's giving and that includes giving some feedback to help shape them, be better people mm -hmm. and giving the positive feedback and expecting the feedback back. Like as leaders, I'd say don't assume your employees will give it to you. You have to solicit it in a way that is yeah. safe and non-threatening. Yeah. We're not perfect. We're people. And then <laughs> We've got to grow and learn. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then acknowledge it and try to do something with it, even if it's not completely within your control, because mm -hmm. people will stop giving it if you don't do yep. anything with it. Yeah. I, almost, I can think of times when leaders have asked for my feedback and then it just seems to like go into the ether and die. And it gets less and less uh, to be a good feeling when you get asked because you're like, well, why should I even waste my time? Um, mm -hmm. I've seen that happen so many times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you don't want to 
you know, we don't want those situations that are demotivating yeah. to the team. Yeah, like the engaged people become disengaged because they feel like you don't <sighs> actually, you're, it's performative feedback. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, and that that's the, that's tricky, but I think that comes down to communication with your team too. Um, yeah. Of, I'm working on it. Sometimes we want instant results and maybe it's coming back to our team and being realize this is kind of a, this takes time yeah. too. Yeah. Does your team mm -hmm. do any um, DEIB, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging? Do they do any formal training about that? Or um, is it a topic of conversation in your meetings? All and above. Yeah. Um, we're lucky that as an organization, we're highly invested in it. So That's we awesome. have, we're, because we're such a big organization, we're very fortunate. I'd say in smaller practices, um, there can be short trainings that mm -hmm. one can have to start get the ball rolling if one hasn't already. Yeah. But yeah, we even we celebrate different heritage months, and uh, we we have trainings. We discuss it. It's open, and we have leaders being trained as well. Love it. Um... Okay, what, let's talk about roles for a second, because you said you have um, like over 80 people, uh, credential technicians and assistants reporting mm -hmm. to you. Do you have any veterinarians? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I have, do have managers. I don't have yeah. it in the... <laughs> Yes, okay. but uh, under, under your umbrella, <laughs> yes. leadership umbrella, I guess I should say. Right. But thank you for clarifying. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's good, because that would be like, um, you just do one-on-ones until you die. Yes. <laughs> Nothing else. <laughs> okay. So what about um, veterinarians? Are there, are there veterinarians that are under that umbrella as well? And so you're technically their boss or are there veterinarians that are, and I know we don't like love titles or rankings, but you technically outrank some veterinarians. And so you would have decision-making power over systems mm. that affect them. Um, I'm just asking because that is something that like we do see a little bit of pushback, whether or not mm -hmm. it's it's conscious mm -hmm. um, when we see technicians moving into higher leadership roles? It's a, it's a great question and a reality. So I'd say at this moment, there are no DVMs reporting directly mm -hmm. to me. However, there's a high level collaboration of workflows. And so this is because I'm such a collaborator. Mm -hmm. um, titles don't necessarily you know, the rank, um, would I possibly affect some workflows that are tech driven that then the doctors would kind of have to go to per, go with perhaps, but I view it as we're all a team with mm -hmm. the same goal. So, uh, I don't think I'd necessarily had to pull rank, I guess you could say, Yeah. but very much working together. Um, but historically there is that, that it's tricky as techs were taught we are following directions from a DVM. Like mm -hmm. If you look at medically, right? Yep. There's the treatment plan. We are following it and implementing yep. it. And DVMs, you're taught you're supposed to do everything mm -hmm. in terms of somehow you're supposed to be a leader of the team and clinical. Yes. And we should be to able to do everything techs do, even if we don't do it. <laughs> you know. I guess, although I'd almost argue that, like, here, the doctors don't draw blood and do anesthesia, put in catheters, take x-rays, Yeah. Um, use the anesthesia ventilators, none of that. Oh, none. yeah. 
I know I wouldn't know the first place to start with a lot of things now because I didn't have to for so long because I had amazing technicians I worked with who just did it all. Like I remember one time there was a doctor's meeting um, at a practice where I worked and there were like six doctors around and an emergency came in because we were in the practice. The practice was closed. There's only doctors in the building and it was a, but it was a really long time client. So we decided to see it. And um, we had to run blood work, and all of us were standing around just looking at the blood machine. Like, <laughs> does anyone know how to use this thing? <laughs> it was it was pretty bad. So we, there was like an instruction manual and a tech support call. You know, yeah, YouTube. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we like had a tech on standby on the phone. So um, yeah, I mean, I, definitely like there's this expectation that you know, even from the clients, they're like, I want the vet to draw my dog's blood. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> you don't want me to do it. Like, I do it once a week. You know. <laughs> So, so yeah, I think there are definite roles there, but how to think less of that hierarchy, which is so embedded, I think, in this field from mm -hmm. many decades to how is it a collaboration? And we're seeing, I think we're seeing more RVTs and uh, come up into more leadership positions. I, people have been in the field for a long time and they're, they they're more excited about teaching others to draw blood than doing the mm -hmm. actual task or elevating everybody else. Um, but it is that, sure, there can be moments of friction, 100% yeah. of what, and I think the ranking is still tricky because it's still DVM um, mm -hmm. has the final decision on many, many aspects. Yes. Just that's how the structure has been created. Yes, um, true. And but I love that you are in a position where you can work collaboratively with DVMs to try mm -hmm. to optimize workflows and training and stuff because a DVM doesn't have, and you know, we just don't have the same insight into how technicians and assistants and CSRs even are affected mm -hmm. by what we do. You know, we're like, oh, this is how I do this thing, and like we don't have any. Even if we've worked as assistants or technicians, it's still very difficult to see in that situation um, how everything works together and you have to have somebody speaking up for everybody on the team. Absolutely. And so I think we can't, that's human, right? We all yeah. sometimes have our, our scope of what we, how we see things and to have someone who is on the outside, whether it's your clinic manager, hospital administrator, tech, someone in a leadership who can look at the whole big picture holistically mm -hmm. is so important. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I want to ask you a couple of, of question, opinion questions. I mean, you'll have facts, I'm sure that support your opinions, but I'm just really, I'm curious because um, as a technician who's been in the field for a long time, um, and now you've seen a lot of people come and go, and you've seen a lot of changes in the profession, particularly where technicians are concerned, um, we see we're having a ton of, of conversations now about kind of two big things, as far as I can tell. There's um, technician title protection, and um, there's the idea of the quote-unquote mid-level practitioner role, and whether that sh that's something that we need and something that should be implemented more widely. Um, so I'm curious as to your thoughts on either or both of those as an RBT I, leader. I, I love it. All right. <laughs> Where to start? Um, it's, a, it's definitely a hot topic and there's a mm -hmm. lot of opinions out there. Title protection, I think I'll just start with the first one yeah. is I do feel it's 
important in terms of the public doesn't even understand mm -hmm. us. And so if we're all over the place internally, externally, of course it's going to be perceived that way. And we have, in some ways, there's a model of human medicine that we can look at where there's clarity in the different roles. And so we, as patients, we, when we know what to expect of different mm -hmm. roles. We don't, it's muddied yes. in the vet field. And it's tricky because each state is so independent. Yes. And I'll be honest in my, I thought, I would have thought by now being in this career for 30 years, we would have gotten to have a more national standard mm -hmm. by now. So I get it, it's hard. And that is a mountain to move in that respect. But if each state at least can do as it's, we're headed there, um, title protection, and then educate the public. Tricky thing is I get it. People say, but I'm short staffed. I can't get a credential tech. Mm -hmm. I need someone to do this job. Mm -hmm. um, how do you, that, but if we all head in the same direct, march in the same direction, yeah, I think we can get there. Um, that's my personal opinion on title protection. Yeah, I mean, and I've heard so many people say that and like, I would have expected too, after all this time that we'd be farther, we'd be closer to um, a more unified front in terms of what at least what we call technicians, even if they can do different things in different states. Um, I mean, I can't imagine that like nurse practitioner, I don't know if it's statewide that they can decide like what a nurse practitioner can do in various states or if nurse practitioners have the same legal capabilities in every state. I don't actually know if that's the case or not. Um, or like an RN, you know, are there restrictions in some states that don't exist in others? I don't know. That's a really good question. Yeah, and I would I'm gonna have to find that out now. I, yes, please do tell me when you get the answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sure there's somebody listening who knows. Steven Satal, I'm looking at you. Right. <laughs> I'm sure tell you know. Tell us, please. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and a mid-level practitioner, um, I actually, this is, this is an interesting one. Uh, let me see, come back one step and then head there. So go with me and interrupt as needed. But okay. so in California, do you know that there's a, there's something, a legislation SB 669 that would allow RVTs to establish the VCPR yes. um, as an agent of a DVM without the DVM present to basically hold vaccine clinics in underserved communities. Um, yeah. So I know there's some listeners out there who may have, you know, it's, there are yeah. varying opinions on that. Yeah. Personally, I actually am in support of it. Um, so can we do start number one, um, RBTs exist. How can we allow more full contribution yeah. in this field and utilize what we have and hopefully that can help energize the field perhaps mm -hmm. a little bit that's i think empowering like yeah. we trust you to run a vaccine clinic yeah um oh yeah that, fun great exciting <laughs> and and then uh that frees up a dvm not to have to do a vaccine clinic it, that benefits mm -hmm. everybody but yeah i mean i'm letting my own opinion creep in here which i have to go ahead the disclaimer is not the opinion of aha this is the opinion of katie berlin okay um <laughs> but i i agree with you that it seems like i am not opposed to that in any respect i think 
but I have also had the experience of working with some extremely empowered and capable credential technicians. I mean, I would let them work on like my family members, you know what I mean? And I would want them to work on me. Like I, I absolutely have the most faith in their ability. And there are so many people that their, te their credential technicians are like trimming nails, you know? And like, of course, they're not going to move directly from nail trims to um, you can run a vaccine clinic without me there, you know? So it makes perfect sense what you're saying that like improving our empowerment and their, and their ability to contribute, make empowerment it, contribution. Yes. Yes. Um, versus I'm using those words versus RBT do more because it's like right. often the RBTs are running ragged. They're doing everything. And, yes. <laughs> um, so it's more about empowerment and contribution and mm -hmm. trusting. So that's hard. I get it. As a DVM, we're working under your license. Yeah. So there has to be that trust once again. Hmm. Leadership and training is the mm, theme. Yeah. But um, crazy how that keeps coming. Back. <laughs> we also have VTS. Um, yes. And so how can for all I'm not a VTS for all you VTS out there. Yes, there is this structure. Can we can we build on this? So if we're looking at mid level practitioner, I'm a big fan of I'd rather not go the PA route where it's you don't need prior experience. Mm -hmm. um, I'd rather go the NP nurse practitioner route. Mm -hmm. And my understanding, hopefully I get this right for any of you in the human nursing field or a family friends, that it's a progression mm -hmm. of a career mm -hmm. yeah. uh, that maybe there's like, which is already what RBT, BT, yeah. have to do. Exactly. Yeah. So can we build on that versus create some mm -hmm. uh, new position that then almost demotivates uh, more people from entering the RBT, credential, LBT, CBT, credential tech field? Yeah, makes sense to me. Um, I know that like Lincoln Memorial has a, mm -hmm. um, an MP, MPA, yeah. a VPA, VPA v program, v mm -hmm. VPA. So it's a master's degree program um, that yeah. uh, that is graduating people who are going to be in that sort of mid-level practitioner role. Um, and and I love that my understanding is you have to be an RVT for it's for RVT. I believe Sorry, so. I keep saying RVT because yes. I'm in California. Bear yeah. with me. Creden credential tech base. Yes, I believe which so. Which is exciting that builds kind of on that um, prior knowledge and experience. Yes. And I think part of their, um, the discussions that I've heard about that program is that it includes leadership training. Mm -hmm. So we're talking so much about empowering leaders and trying to keep, you know, training up people who want to carry on with good, positive leadership and know how to lead a team because so many technicians get no training in that whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And like keeping opinions about the VPA program out of it. I do think leadership training for credential technicians is essential and one way mm -hmm. or another, they need to have it, um, especially if they're gonna be serving in roles where they might be leading a team or they might be in a place where there is no doctor or manager mm -hmm. or practice owner who's there to sort of be the final word on things. Um, because like it or not, servant leadership or not, that somebody has to be the one to make the decision. And a lot, it's a lot of leadership, I feel like it's just decisions all day, so. Um, a lot, and when do you collaborate? When do you have to just make a decision and uh -huh. tell? Where do you find that balance? Yeah. Change, change management yes. in this field is changing constantly. Yes. 
our clientele, the expectations, how we function. We just came off of a pandemic where we had to pivot fast. So yes, change management isn't necessarily, um, come, it doesn't come naturally to a lot of people and yeah. How do you shape it? For sure. Um, well, I, I mean, it's clear that we agree on (laughs) mostly everything and I, I don't want people listening to think that that means that there's no room for discussion here. Like I Mm -hmm. would love to hear other people's opinions of, you know, like have they been in scenarios where somebody tried some of the things that you've been doing over the last 12 years and it didn't work, you know, Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of people are like, well, I, it just seemed like things were just sinking and I couldn't keep it going. And like, I felt like I was out on this branch by myself and I've heard Mm -hmm. that too. And I'm just curious about that, you know, like, um, discussion about this is not ever going to get better and this isn't ever going to spread and become a good epidemic of positive leadership and empowerment without discussing it and without some bumps. A hundred percent. Bumps and discussion and being there for each other. When, mm-hmm. I, when I first entered this field, actually leadership in the field, I think I was so surprised to find so many of us struggle independently with exactly the same problems. Yeah. And we're like, wait, wait, like it's only he, me. <laughs> you, he, you, you experienced that too, and that, and that, and that, and that, and so being okay with. I think there, from when I entered the field, there seemed like there are these little pods of management groups and leadership groups in the vet field. Um, how do we? It, it can feel very lonely sometimes mm-hmm. as a leader, yeah. and how do we collaborate? But get to get to a solution, but. Um, really look at some of these issues that we're all all encountering. And I also didn't want to be, I mean, no one wants to hear like, well, you have 50 RVTs and we have none. How do we get there? That it's, it is, it's a, it's a haul, but there are certain things I think little tiny things one can do. I think of the smaller general practices I worked at and a credential tech was a credential tech. And a vet assistant was a vet assistant. Um, but even within some of these smaller general practices or whatever it is, you can even create just this small um, matrix of mm-hmm. growth. And yeah. it sounds, maybe it's too basic, but um, I just even small. So you, you, you achieve these skills, you get this pay. You achieve these skills, mm-hmm. you get this pay. And show a progression of how people, to keep them interested growing yeah. in the field and a, and so the techs can have something and the vet assistants or CSRs can have something in sight mm-hmm. of why, why do I want to stay here? Yeah. Um, yeah. So there are these small tangible things I think that we all can do. Yes, absolutely. And actually AHA's first, this will come out after the release. I can say this here, Um, but AHA's first uh, technician utilization guidelines Mm -hmm. are coming out next month in October of 2023. And the task force actually has said they've just, they discussed the word utilization as well, because none of them loved it either, but it seemed like the closest to what they (laughs) needed to, and it's it's recognizable, but they said the same thing. Um, But it, it talks about that, you know, about tiers and, um, and Mm -hmm. sort of levels of skill and, um, and there's going to be so much packed into those guidelines. I'm really excited for people to read them. Like the task force just worked so hard um, to try to create something that was useful, but also a little bit groundbreaking, you know, um, for a lot of people, this is a new way to think about how to um, empower their teams. So I love 
everything that you've talked about. Um, and it seems like I just, your team is very lucky to have you. I know what you're going to say. You're going to say you're lucky to have them. And that's exactly why you're good at this. Um, <laughs> but um, I could see you getting ready to say it. But from an, from an outside perspective, they are extremely lucky to have you. Um, and just take that take that with you because you probably don't get to hear that all that much <laughs> in a in a culture where you give away all the credit so you deserve you deserve credit for what you've helped to create and um, I just wanted to say that now it's on the air so it's true <laughs> <laughs> thank you I mean it's you know we're never bored in this career no, that's ever true. <laughs> and uh and people I love people with all the muddiness that is involved in people <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Same, same, same. Um, okay. Last thing uh, we've mm -hmm. talked about several resources. So I'll put links in the show notes to like Brene Brown mm -hmm. um, and some of her stuff, Kim Scott and radical candor, Simon yes. Sinek. Um, is there anything else that you want to shout out as a, a resource that's been useful to you or something that you've learned from in your mm. leadership journey? Um, that's a great question. Uh, in terms of resources, I I actually like Gallup Strengths Finder for leaders or for managers. Um, I mean, it's good, but there's other one of these where it feels sometimes you're like, but wait, maybe there's only four categories mm. and maybe some of them people feel like maybe they should be something else. And I actually like doing this with my um managers, supervisors, and perhaps even teams, because mm -hmm. then you can all once again, appreciate each yeah. other and what each member brings to the team, Yeah, how we complement each other or we're aligned and people kind of think it's fun too. So oh, yeah. I think that's a fun tool. Um, and I do like how the, it does it kind of tells, it helps shape, like these might be some of your blind spots or areas of growth. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm, I find it shockingly true. How did this test get that? I know. It's actually like, and it's kind of sobering when you see some of, so just for people that aren't familiar with StrengthsFinder, and you can see there's a black book on the shelf behind me, and that's, it's the manager, which is one of the Gallup um, StrengthsFinder resources for managers. It's talking about how to lead if you're, if you have certain strengths and also how to lead people who have certain strengths. I love that stuff. And I think you're so right. Like, something like DISC or Myers-Briggs, you know, where you kind of have four categories and you have to sort of fit, pick one. And that, that can feel a little bit limiting. And StrengthsFinder is so positive because it's not saying, here's what you're bad at. It's saying, here's your superpowers. Like you happen to be exceptionally good at this. And like, these come naturally to you and they're really important to you and you're passionate about them. And it's bringing that like accentuate the positive. This is what you can contribute to the team versus like, here's the areas that you should focus on the most because you suck at them. And nobody responds well to that, at least hardly anyone, maybe like CrossFitters, <laughs> but you know, because they have to do everything. But you know what I mean? Like, it really encourages you to look at the team and say like, okay, this person is um, really good at details and um, relationships and 
you know, talking through each step of something and they're very fastidious. And then other people, I'm, I'm raising my hand, are much better at the big picture and can say, okay, here are some connections between things to, that we could think about that maybe we hadn't thought about before. But I am not making that spreadsheet because I'm going to start it and then I'm going to leave it and get distracted by something shiny and I'm not going to see it again for six months. And it makes me feel so much better about that. Like, Versus I I'm should good not... at executing and, yeah. and the follow <laughs> and making it happen. Yeah. And, and yes, we're, and as a team leader, it, how can we all, if these are strengths that come naturally, how can we live it, put, be in positions where we yeah. live in these strengths versus struggling in something that maybe yeah. we could do, but we're not great at. And yes. so I'm, I'm a fan of that as a tool um, in totally. leadership and, and your team. Yeah. I'll put a link to um, to the StrengthsFinder website, the Gallup website in there too. There's so many, like the easiest way, you can take tests online, you can give codes to your team, but you also can just buy the book. It's like a StrengthsFinder 2.0 book and it's got a code in it. And then you get the book that explains all the strengths and stuff. And, um, you know, if you have a big team, it adds up, but it's not that expensive per person to do it. And so even for just leadership teams, I think it's really, really helpful. So I'm really glad you brought that up. It's one of my favorite things. I mean, my top strength is activator. What about you? Learner. Mm, I got that. Arranger, achiever are some of my top ones. Yes. So I don't have much of the executor ones. I have a lot of the... uh influencer ones and i have little influence <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we would be a good we would be good teammates is what you're saying <laughs> absolutely <laughs> um all right well sarah taylor it's been a pleasure um i love talking to you we've only talked a couple times now but um i leave feeling really hopeful about the future not just of where you work but of the profession in general if we can churn out more leaders like you and and techs who want to stay in this, enter this field and stay in this field. Yes. It can be a positive. So energizing yeah. us um, as a career, I think that's so important. Yeah, that's the key. Honestly, we have so many challenge in this, challenges in this profession, but I firmly believe the technicians are the key. Um, you know, we need to figure out how we've been letting, letting you all down and how we can we can turn that around. And I think at least those conversations are happening now and I'm really encouraged by that. So. Yay. Thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure talking with you and thank you anyone out there who's been listening to, who will be listening to this. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you all for watching and listening and um, hit me up on podcast at aha.org if you have questions um, for Sarah or just about this, this topic in general, if um, any of the resources we talked about, you can always email that address and um, we'll do what we can to get, to get you answers. So thanks again and we'll catch you next time on Central Line. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.